Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we're just about a week out from the start of the regular season. Giants, Broncos, next Sunday. Let's go. What we're going to do here in this episode is we're going to go over what are the expectations for this team. Uh, analytically, we'll, we'll take a, a look at it through the eyes of the great Mike Clay. Uh, ESPN analyst. He does projections every year. It's mostly, you know, he develops a formula and tweaks it. And he comes out with his projections every year. So this isn't just him opining on, okay, Saquon Barkley is going to run for 1,200 yards, whatever it is. It's somewhere in that range, I think. But it's more like, He's inputting the data. He's inputting the data on what he believes the offensive line is going to be, on what he thinks the uh, factors around him, Daniel Jones and all the weapons around him and who else is going to get carries, how many touches he gets, the injury risk, all these things gets put into the formula and the computer kind of spits out projections. And they're always fun to look at because really what is realistic for Saquon Barkley this year? What's realistic for Daniel Jones? We're going to get to that in a few minutes. Can Saquon Barkley, will he have more than 1,600 total yards? That's the question. 15, 1,600? We'll ask Mike Clay about that in a few minutes, so we'll get to that. But in the meantime, we're a week from the opener, pretty much. I'm taping this on Thursday, late Thursday. So the NFL opens a week from today, and then the Giants play a few days later against the Broncos. Hosting the Broncos a rare opener at home, by the way, not in Dallas, which nice little change up for me as someone who goes and covers these games pretty much every year. Uh, we've been to Dallas. Obviously, last year, the opener, uh, you know, there was no fans, and I, it was a rare year. I didn't go travel on the road. But for the most part, for the last six, seven years, we've been going to Dallas every year for the opener. Not this year. Home Broncos. Now, interesting giant scheduling quirk here. So you have to take this into consideration for what's going to happen here in the early part of the season. The Giants have two games in 10 days because their Thursday night game is week two in Washington. So quick turnaround, two games, 10 days. Now, interesting opponents as well. Not high-end quarterbacks. we got Ryan. first week one is Teddy Bridgewater and then Ryan Fitzpatrick. So veterans, okay guys, can do some stuff, but they're not top high-end quarterbacks. We could all agree on that. But what these two teams do have are really Really good pass rushers. Von Miller and Bradley Chubb for Denver against the Giants' offensive tackles. Then week two, Washington brings Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Two very good pass rushers. So, not the ideal week one and two matchup for this team, especially the offensive line, which we'll get to in a second. The single biggest question mark on this team, especially after watching that third preseason game, that only added to the fact that it was probably the big single biggest question. The Giants' offensive line. We'll get to that in a minute. In the meantime, I want to talk about, real quick, the likelihood that their weapons play, right? We're heading into, you know, holiday weekend right now, and so the Giants are off for a few days. So, as we stand, heading into game week, here's how I look at it. Saquon Barkley seems to be trending towards playing. Our own Jeremy Fowler kind of reported that on Thursday, and everything I heard after that practice where he took his first hits or contact was that, yeah, they think Saquon's going to play. Week one. Now, there's some more obstacles still to pass through. There's some more bars. He's, there's going to be another pad of practice next week. We'll have to see how he gets through that before the doctors are really going to clear him. So, we probably won't get official word on Saquon until late next week. But all signs are positive on Saquon Barkley playing. Now, if I made the, I made the list last week of Saquon Barkley, Kyle Rudolph, Kenny Galladay, and Kadarius Toney and the likelihood that they play. And I think I had Kenny Galladay number one. Right now, I'd have Kyle Rudolph, number one. And I'm going to add Evan Ingram to the list right now because he's number five right now. It's looking like, and it sounds like from the people that I'm talking to, that he's going to end up missing some time, right? He hurt his calf in uh, the third preseason game. So it looks like Evan Ingram, that, that'll give him two weeks between the injury and the game. I don't think that's going to be enough. It doesn't look like Evan Ingram is going to make it for the opener. We'll see more in the upcoming week. But it's not looking promising right now. So he's number five on my list of most likely playmakers to play. Okay, Number one has now jumped from Kyle Rudolph, who maybe was number four a couple weeks ago, 
to now number one. First off, he's been back on the field. But the reason is he's also, now that they don't have Ingram, they kind of need Kyle Rudolph. So they're more willing to get him into the action because he's a veteran. He could go in. He could do some things in a limited capacity, play, you know, 20 snaps, and that that's not a problem. You can get something useful out of him in those 20 snaps. So he's now number one most likely. Number two is Kenny Galladay. Actually, two, three, and four might as well be Galladay, Tony, and Saquon. I feel pretty good about all of them right now. I guess Saquon's four, only because I feel really good about Galladay. I feel even better about Tony than Galladay. I mean, so maybe Tony two, Galladay three, Saquon four, and I feel pretty good about Saquon. So to me, the likelihood is that all four of those guys play. Now, Tony and Galladay had hamstring injuries, so as long as there's no setback, they seem to be on pace to be playing week one as well. They practiced on Thursday, full padded practice, seemed to be moving pretty well, running full speed. So, yeah, those two guys, I mean, I don't think they're going to be out there for a full 60 snaps. Kadarius Tony certainly did pretty much nothing all summer. I mean, he'll probably be used very sporadically, but more as like, a, you know, certain plays, specific plays designed for him to get the ball in his hands because you could see that athleticism. I saw a play on Thursday where... Kadarius Tony did one of those, you know, hesitation, you know, almost like a, a, a stank leg type move. And you could see his ability to stop and start is pretty special. And you're like, okay, that's why the guy was a first round pick. That's why people think he could be a big playmaker in his league because of things like that. So to have Tony likely back, Galladay likely back, maybe, you know, scaled back a little bit from his usual and Saquon likely back. Also scaled back from usual. But think about how much better this offense is now going to look. Now that we're adding those three guys into the mix. Even in a limited capacity. Let's say all of them are in a limited capacity. Those three guys will make everybody better. They'll make Daniel Jones better. They'll make the offensive line better. They'll make Jason Garrett better. Now, it might not solve all their problems. Jason Garrett's offense may still be bland. The offensive line may still be problematic, and I kind of expect it to be. Let's go into that for a second. The offensive line heading into week one is a huge problem because I've said this many times. If Andrew Thomas is not good, they're screwed. I mean, royally, no chance. That's the one guy they need to be good. And guess what? That third preseason game, he was bad, 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 bad. Like, not even, like, decent, bad. He had a terrible outing, and I... Left it open. I, you know, it looked good so far throughout training camp, but he hadn't faced much competition. Think about it for a second. Nico Lalos and Trent Harris. I've been, I've been saying those two names over and over. Like that's who their tackles were facing in training camp. Guess what? Nico Lalos and Trent Harris didn't make the 53 man roster. They were running first team against Andrew Thomas and Matt Parrott most of the summer, a good chunk of the summer. So now they go up against. Guys like uh, Matt Judon and Josh Uche from New England, and they got manhandled, just demolished, and it leaves you concerned. Now, Nate Solder, I would would not be surprised in the least if Nate Solder is starting week one, likely at right tackle. Now, Andrew Thomas didn't do anything at practice on Thursday, which makes you scratch your head. But the Giants, I can't, they're not benching Andrew Thomas unless something's wrong with him. Maybe it was a wake-up call. Maybe it was a maintenance day. Maybe he's a little banged up. Maybe it's a little bit of the three. Regardless, he's going to get his opportunity. He's going to be the left tackle. Nate Solder and Matt Parrott, they might rotate. Now, here's the concerning part. It seemed like the Giants gave Matt Parrott, I mean, for the most part, when he was healthy because he started the summer on Pup, he was running with the first team. The fact that he hasn't been able to lock that down has to leave you a little troubled if you're a giant, the Giants or a Giants fan. The fact that Andrew Thomas looked that poorly, played that poorly, against New England, that has to leave you worried and scared for Daniel Jones's life because the interior of the line isn't that great either. They're counting on Shane Lemieux at, at right guard. Shane Lemieux's got tears in his knee that he's going to try, micro tears, I believe, that he's going to try and play through. And from what I heard, he had some sort of shot recently. He's trying everything to try and make it work. You know, the, the, the PRP procedures that, that guys have, uh, it's not a major procedure, but it's a little something. And... Shane Lemieux, I heard, had that recently. He's tr- going to try and play through it. He's a tough guy. But what's the reality? First of all, how good is Shane Lemieux? That's still a question. And what's the reality he can make it through the season? So it becomes an even bigger question mark. Will Hernandez, at the other guard spot, is trying to resurrect his career. He was 
benched last year, essentially, after getting COVID, didn't come back really as a starter for Shane Lemieux. And Giants didn't necessarily seem to be in love with him. And now he's one of their, he's supposed to be one of their locks, one of their most steady offensive linemen, the one that you could trust the most. Probably Nick Gates is the most at center, but I mean, Nick Gates, let's, let's, let's be, let's be fair here. Nick Gates might be moving to guard soon. It's not out of the realm of possibilities. The Giants have just took a couple flyers on guys like Ben Bredesen, Billy Price. They're betting on talent there, hoping one of those guys could pop, but they don't know. They've met Skura on the, who has started his whole career on their practice squad. So they're loading up on contingency plans because they knew what they had in reserve and they found out in the preseason and really should have known before then was just insufficient. So that line is a huge question mark. And I almost expect the tackle situation to be a three-man rotation between Andrew Thomas, Matt Parrott, and Nate Solder early in the season. Remember we saw that last year, the rotation, the offensive line rotation? I don't know who it benefits individually for young guys, especially Matt Parrott and Andrew Thomas, but the Giants are going to play whichever of the three are playing best at the moment. So they better step it up. That's how I see the early part of the season going with that tackle spot. The offensive line rotation but there is some optimism in that in the uh, in the offense as a whole knowing that daniel jones is in his third year second year in jason garrett's offense he has an improvement in playmakers around him so things like the bubble screen or little short pass quick passes that maybe were nothing last year those can be turned into significant gains big plays even so that'll make life easier for both daniel jones And for that offensive line. So is the offensive line going to be fine? Good? Like, is it all going to be fixed? No. But I do think it'll keep them from being the 31st ranked offense. Granted, that is a hella low bar. I mean, we're saying, well, they're not going to be the 31st ranked offense. Well, great. Like, they need to make a jump to the middle of the road, at least. I mean, that's kind of what we're hoping for here. Let's say they're the 16th ranked offense. And they remain the 10th ranked defense. Now you got something. That should be the makings of a pretty good team. A team with a winning record. You could do just enough offensively, making just enough big plays to supplement a pretty good defense. I think that's the goal here. Now, the offense under Jason Garrett, you know, it's still going to look pretty much the same. Will there be more jet sweeps and bubble screens, things like that to get the ball in the hands of players like Kadarius Toney and Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard? I, I think that will be the case. Say, all right. Let's let our playmakers take the pressure off our quarterback and our offensive line. A little bit. Daniel Jones is still going to be asked to make plays. And I've said this over and over and over again. I think the key for Daniel Jones is he needs to use his athleticism, especially with this offensive line and this group of weapons. He needs to use his athleticism, his legs in particular, to make plays. Now, I'm not saying use to run to run the ball. I'm saying he needs to scramble to throw, like run to throw, not run to run. So the idea is should be create time, get out of the pocket, move around, give these playmakers that you have at your disposal time to get open. Can he do that? Can he do that? Can that become a big part of his game? Because if it doesn't, quite frankly, I can't see him being a high-end quarterback. And I just finished interviewing Dan Orlovsky, who is someone I trust implicitly when it comes to quarterbacks kind of agreed and was along the same lines and he also didn't think that that's something that you kind of really learn that some guy that some most of these guys just that's they've grown up playing that way and that just becomes more natural but it can be improved as sort of part of the offense and if the giants tell him hey get out of there go make plays it's okay go make those plays go do it there's nothing wrong with passing on the first read if it's not perfect and then going out and using your legs because he is athletic. That's the thing. He has that athleticism to be good. And guess what? Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, Chase Young and Montez Sweat, you are going to have to move around to make plays. The Giants offense has potential to look awful these first two weeks. Think about it for a second. Those pass rushers, two really good defenses. I mean, some people might say they're the number one and number two defenses in this league. I mean, They're going to be in that conversation for people, at least heading into the season. So this offense has their work cut out for them. And quite frankly, they haven't spent much time at all working together this summer. The offensive line was just turned over. At least the back end of it was. The starters 
should pretty much be the same from what we expected at the start of the preseason, which I guess is a good sign. But Shane Lemieux's been out for a while, right? Andrew Thomas then just sat out the other day. Nate Solder was brought along slowly at the beginning of the summer. He missed some time with, I believe, it was a shoulder injury. So this unit, and Joe Judge said this, sometimes you don't know about your team until after September. So basically, September might be another preseason. So these first two games could be ugly for the Giants' offense. They could. Against that competition, often early in the season, you hear it all the time, defense is ahead of the offense, right? Well, that certainly could be the case here. I mean, I have confidence that Saquon Barkley will ultimately come back and be a good, great player in this league. But to think that he's going to be back to his old self immediately in week one and two, doesn't that almost seem unrealistic? Kenny Galladay, who just missed a month Friday, this Friday, uh, September 3rd, that's a month. I believe since he hurt his knee. I'm uh, sorry, since he hurt his hamstring. A month. So he's been out a month. Is it realistic he's going to come back and be at the top of his game after, what, a week and a half of practice? Could be a rough start to the season for the Giants. Let's get to the projection part of the show. On to the next one. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. Let's bring in ESPN's Mike Clay. He's, he's my go-to guy, by the way, for projections. This is sort of becoming like an annual thing, Mike. I bring you in every year. We go over your projections. They're low on the Giants. Not, I mean, And it turns out, you know, it, it's pretty much they've been right on right on par with with, with what <laughs> has turned out to be reality so here we are again welcome <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks for having me on uh you're right i you know i guess the the silver lining maybe is that uh i'm one of the few in the industry who's buying on saquon barkley this year and honestly i kind of like kenny galladay too um, both of them have had you know they have some red flags but uh i found myself with them on quite a few fantasy teams so I know we'll get into them a little bit here deeper, but uh, yeah, maybe I'll be a little more optimistic, at least from a statistical slash fantasy standpoint this season. Okay. So let's talk about that for a second, because I, I'm kind of with you. Like I'm, I'm probably higher on these guys than, than most because I, the giants, they, they, they played it very cautiously this summer. And I think that was sort of intentionally. And with these two guys in particular, we're talking about, and these are proven good players in the league. So as long as they're healthy, they're going to be quality players. So, with that being said, you said you've taken, you found yourself with Saquon, even Kenny Gallagher, but let's talk about Saquon for a second. So, you, you found him in, in fantasy leagues. What is that? Where would you put the cutoff line? Where is Mike Clay willing to take the risk on Saquon Barkley? I'm probably in like the eight to 10 range, I would say. Yeah, the problem. Well, no, there's that's where he's going now, right? So if you want to be in on Saquon, you have to be willing to do it a little bit earlier than that. You know, I guess some people will pass on him until the second round. Uh, they'll just have him off their board and, and focus on other positions. But, um, you know, that's about where he's going. I have him closer to fifth overall on my board. So I would take him in that range. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's easy to pick apart the fact that he's going to get off to a slow start this year. Now there are the latest reports are he may play in week one. And, and you could talk more about this. You you're more of an insider than I am in this department, but uh, even if he is limited out of the gate, or even if he misses a game, he will I'm okay be limited. with that. He will be limited though. So you should expect that. Not sure. Not in, not in what he can do just in workload. They're not going to bring him back at a full workload. That's just, and I agree with them for, a team purpose. That's just stupid. Yes. Right. I mean, you need to look at last 17 games. Like, so that's the reality. That's the sake one you're going to be buying is that early in the season, you're going to have a smaller workload. Yes. And that's, I'm fine with that because you don't win your championship in week one or week two, right. You win it later in the season. And look, if the expectation was for this kid who's 24 years old, right. And we probably have not seen his best work. If the plan was for him to be limited all season, 
I'm all due respect to Devonte Booker. That's not your permanent answer all season, right? You know, you would, you would aim higher. You would do something like what Denver did and draft a day two running back, like a Javante Williams. They did not do that. So the goal at some point would be to get Barkley back to being a bell cow running back. And when he gets to that point, you combine that with the talent level he has, there's very few, if any are as good as him. You know, he's like the only guy who could really push Christian McCaffrey for that top spot at running back, right. in my opinion. So, uh, you know, we've seen it before. Number one running back as a rookie, top five in his second season when he was healthy. And he was often running early last season. I know, the, I know the numbers weren't great right out of the gate, but the volume was. Uh, so, you know, he is still one of the best in the business. And I expect that once he's healthy for him to be a, a fantasy star again this season. I agree with you because the idea is like, if I have to wait till week four for Saquon Barkley to get back to full strength for fantasy purpose, or even for real life for the Giants, like that's fine. You're, you're still talking about 12, 13 weeks or games left for a guy who's, if he's healthy, he's in the, the you know, he's going to be like a top three type back. I mean, if, if he's fully mm-hmm. healthy and plays the whole season. So I yeah, think yeah. the upside to that to me is just so high. So your projection for him, I'm looking at it right now, is over 300 touches. It's uh, 317 quick math on my part right there. 1,169 rushing yards with 423 more uh, receiving 11 total touchdowns. So pretty pretty solid numbers. Take us through like uh, where that kind of falls into line with some of the other top guys and how you kind of got there. Yeah, that's going to put him right up there uh, with the best in the business. Um, you know, that does include limited workload for three weeks. So I kind of scaled his back, his touches a little bit. I think maybe not fair. far enough. That's I'm not sure. Number. No, that's, that's yeah. Seems fair. Yeah, to so me. three you weeks know, scaled back. Yeah, no question about it. So maybe, you know, maybe he'll touch the ball a little bit less than I think in the first few weeks, but I don't think it'll be reduced to the point that you're not starting him in fantasy, right? Like instead of being a top three running back, maybe he's 15th to 18th, something in that range. You know, he's still so good, but you know, and let me ask you that. I mean, what do you, what do you think tw- uh, for week one, 12 to 15 touches, you know, a little yeah, more, a little if less he plays. That's around that. I would, I would say like the 10 to 15 touches is, is the right uh, area because you're talking about, let's say they play 60 snaps in a game. You know, we're, we're estimating a number here and usually it's around there. 60, 70 snaps. He's going to play, let's say it, when he gets on the field to start out about half the snaps. So, you know, 30, 30 snaps, you get about 15 touches. Uh, you run a bunch of routes, a couple pass blocks like that, that. That seems in the right range to me. I don't think they're going to, I don't see a scenario where Saquon Barkley tops 20, 20 touches in week one, like almost in any way, shape or form. I just, I just can't see that happening. Yeah. And the number, and I have him with 16 touches against Denver. So we're in the same ballpark, at least, even if you knock off a couple off of that, you're still talking about a top 25 fantasy play. So you're still starting him. And, you know, once, once, you know, if he gets, if he gets 16 touches and he doesn't have a setback, you know, the, I, I think the, uh, it's going to be pretty quick to the point where he's the full-time guy. You know, if you see that he's ready to go, we've seen this before guys are limited for a week and then they're, they make it through that first week. They have a good week of practice and then it's off and running. So that would not surprise me at all if by week two, you know, we're talking about, we're ranking him essentially as a, a top, you know, maybe a top 10 running back and then maybe week three, it's a top five running back. Who knows? So uh, nonetheless, you know, I've been projected limited for three weeks and then it's all systems go from that point forward as a, as a feature back in this league again. And once that happens again, he'll be, he'll be one of the stars up there with McCaffrey and Dalton cook. Yeah. I mean, look, the big risk with Saquon is, does he, you know, to suffer any other injuries this year? whether it be knee-related or something else. But that's also a risk you're taking, really, with every running back, right? I mean, if you look back at the running backs, the top running backs or the top players last year in fantasy football, I mean, I I think like six of the top eight basically gave you nothing or something last year, you know, or not what you anywhere came to expect. You know, with the McCaffreys all the way to even Mike Thomas, like it was was a mess of a year to Saquon and all these guys. Yeah, 100%. And... And that's something you don't hear about. You hear about the concerns with Barkley and here's why I'm knocking him down my board. But what about the fact that Dalvin Cook's never played 16 games? You know, what about the fact that Alvin Kamara was the number one scoring running back last year, had Drew Brees for most of that, who's now retired. And, you know, he's relied heavily on the passing game 
Yeah. Uh, he's going to still need those short area targets uh, to, to sustain what he did last season. Also, it's really hard to repeat as a number one scoring running back, Derrick Henry, you know, the guy has led the NFL and carries the past two seasons. And, you know, he's, that's not really sustainable in the modern NFL. Can he do it again? That's a red flag. Is he Kelly going all the way back to Ohio state? His workload is ridiculous, you know, by far more touches than anyone else. So there's a lot of, there's red flags for all of these veteran backs, not just Saquon Barkley. And that's why I think he's turned into a value in drafts. There you go. So, and obviously a very useful player for the giants in real life as well. He's going to be his sure. health and his success is going to dictate how we know what this team ultimately is. So big picture wise, you have the giants at seven and a half wins. So, you know, let's say somewhere between seven and eight wins, 27, 22nd, ranked in the NFL. They're somewhere uh, 18th. You have them in, in strength of schedule. So that's a little more on the, on the harder side, like the top 16 or the 16 easiest. Did I get that right? Yeah. It's a, basically a mid pack schedule. Yeah. Mid pack team, mid pack schedule. <laughs> it's all, it's all mediocrity right now. Uh, and, and of course that assumes Daniel Jones is really a, I would say you have 30th. Daniel Jones, that quarterback unit and Daniel Jones is, is pretty low. That did kind of st- stand out to me. Right. Right. So, you know, I have him, uh, let's see, I have the giants quarterback situation ranked 23rd in the NFL, yeah. right? So bottom, basically 10th worst. Uh, and that, you know, I think that's fair. You know, I have him. that's still considering how he's played so far with the turnovers and missed time. I think that's uh, that's pretty generous. You know, I think he was higher in some metrics than people realize, you know, quarterback metrics last season. So I gave him a little respect um, in that regard. But, you know, the key, obviously, is if they want to get out of being me- mediocre. And, and it comes from, you know, being ranked kind of low as an offense and high as a defense. Defense is pretty good. That's why they end up around roughly league average. Mm-hmm. If they want to get up higher and into the playoff mix and into the race for the NFC East, it all is going to come down to Daniel Jones, right? Is he going to make that leap this season into a good quarterback? Or are they going to be looking for a quarterback next offseason? That's really, it's a huge, it's obviously, I'm saying what everybody already knows. It's obviously a huge year three year for Daniel Jones. Yeah. I mean, you have their overall offensive rank is 27th in the NFL, which granted is a, a, inc- a increase from last year when they were 31st in the NFL in offense. But still, uh, did that, you know, the numbers and stuff don't pop for the Giants yet. And uh, I'm curious. Why, you know, what is it that really holds them back? I, we, we know obviously about the offensive line, but analytically and, and within the projections, what is it for the Giants that worries you? Yeah, I mean, well, obviously, Jones, we need to see more from him. That's a big one. Uh, and the injury and, part of it was interesting too that you said that it, it didn't like click into my head that you know, part of why the numbers aren't so high on Daniel Jones is because he had. You're not projecting him to play six, uh, 17 games. I can't get this right, but yeah. Uh, um, I I have him with uh, about 95% of the dropback. So I'm giving him, I'm giving him a, a pretty good chunk. I meant as, as in he has missed time so far, obviously oh, okay. they need him to stay healthy and play at a high level going forward. That that's obviously pretty key, but again, he just has to play better. I mean, you said I had them ranked 31st in offense last year. They tied the jets for dead last and offensive touchdowns last season, right? Like obviously that cannot continue for this team. No. Um, but, you know, a, a big reason why they're great, and you're talking more about, you know, team unit grades here. Right. The reason that they rank so low is because I have the offensive line 31st, which, again, okay. I may be giving them too much respect. Other outlets have them dead last. So I might be too high <laughs> in the Giants O-line. You know, and, and obviously they've been adding some some pieces. I believe you reported today uh, they, they added Skura as an interior lineman. So um, they're trying to patch it up. But that's a... a pr- potentially a huge issue, especially considering Daniel Jones has had issues protecting the football so far, right? If they're going to have a lot of pressure on him again this season, it's just going to make him more injury prone and and that's going to put more pressure on the defense and make them look worse than they are. And it's all going to fall apart. So, uh, you know, they have to figure that out and they have to figure out a way to get Jones time so he can get the ball to these playmakers. Cause I mean, they have depth there, they have talent and they have depth at the skill positions, you know, and and more so than most teams, you know, when you talk about Barkley and then you go to Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slane, Kadarius Tony, they bring in Colin Johnson from Jacksonville who made a little noise last year's a fifth round pick and Ingram and Rudolph, you know, once Ingram's healthy, of course, and, and Kyle Rudolph there, uh, you know, you have some, some good talent, good depth. So um, they just have to find a way to get Jones time and get the ball into the hands of these playmakers. 
Yeah, I almost thought that maybe the all the playmakers would sort of analytically and projection-wise push them up a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, that offensive line we all know is going to be inhibitive in some way, shape, or form. It's just about the matter of how much. So I'm curious how the other NFC team East, uh, and well, I don't know what I just said there, NFC East teams fared in your projections with the Giants at seven and a half wins. I believe I saw Dallas and Philadelphia both had easier projected schedules. So what was the outlook? What is your outlook for those th- other three teams in the division, considering uh, that two of them have an easier schedule? And I, I assume you probably like them a little bit more than most. Yeah. So I have it with Dallas and Washington is basically a two man race for that, that top spot, uh, you know, for the NFC's crown, obviously, you know, we know as fans of teams in this division, there hasn't been a repeat winner in a long time. Right. I'm not too worried much about that, but uh, I do have Dallas just slipping past Washington, but again, it's so close. Dallas has, you know, went healthy with Dak back in elite offense and kind of a weak defense. I would say one of the shakiest in the NFL, uh, Washington, on the other hand, uh, better offensively this year with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He played pretty well last season. Still some, some weak spots there, some concern areas. Fitzpatrick, we know, has been kind of all over the place throughout his career, so we'll see what they get there. The defense, though, is one of the best in the NFL. So you consider both of those, and, and they look like the two best teams. Uh, the Eagles, I have them last right now. Um, you know, I think the team is okay on paper, probably better than people realize, but much like the Giants, who have an unproven quarterback, and that's really the key for both of these teams. If either one of them wants to give Dallas or Washington a run for the money, it has to come from the quarterback making a leap. And we can't just assume Jalen Hurts is good. We can't just assume Daniel Jones is going to be much better this year. We have to see that. And we have to essentially hedge on the fact that they could be huge busts. I mean, look at, look at the standout quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Just look at the franchise quarterback for all 32 teams. Almost all of them were first round picks. I mean, and then people don't want to hear that when it's applied to a Jalen Hurts because that doesn't mean anything. He's in the league now. He's going to get his shots. Sure. But, you know, there's a re, you know, teams are good at finding quarterbacks in the first round. Yes. A lot of them bust, but the, the starters still come from the first round. So there's a reason Hertz fell to round two and he has to prove that he's an NFL caliber caliber quarterback before we treat him that way and give him that respect. So still yet to be seen if he could pull it off. But for now I have them as essentially a seven and 10 team. Maybe they'll end up, you know, six and 11 kind of in that range. But uh, I think it's Dallas and Washington you know, basically one A, one B, and then the Giants, and then the Eagles. And and uh, where where did your projections come out with the defense for the Giants? You think you were, let's see, tenth? I uh, yeah, tenth. I believe they are. Yep, it's pretty similar to I guess what they were last year when the season ended. I mean, so they they were around there. So, uh, how do you kind of get there? Because I'm looking at the numbers. You have Leonard Williams at six and six point seven sacks. And nobody else let Lorenzo Carter's next with 5.1. I mean, that's a tough way to live, man. If you're going to, you know, your top guys are going to have seven or six, five sacks. I mean, that seems, that seems like a tough way to live. Does it, do they project that? Okay. In part because of scheme and what they did last year, or is it just sort of like strength by numbers there? Yeah. So then the way the numbers work out, they're actually pretty high in tackles which is somewhat schedule dependent uh, interceptions. I have them very high passes, defense and interceptions, very high because of Jabril, Jabril peppers and Bradbury and Jackson on the perimeter corner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So when um, they're good there, you're right. The sacks are, are weak, but I don't think that should surprise anyone. I mean, they haven't solved edge rusher yet. You know, you have Lorenzo Carter there who I think is uh, you know, he's come along nicely, you know, former date day, day uh, two draft pick. I think he's fine. But, you know, they struck out uh, in free agency trying to find a, another edge rusher. And, and we'll see if they can find, you know, obviously they've attempted in recent drafts on, on day two and, and three to find guys. And we'll see if anyone pans out from this group. But we can't just, again, uh, assume that that's going to happen. So, yeah, I'm kind of low on the sack department just because they don't have uh, the standout talent you want from that edge rushing group. Now, Leonard Williams, you mentioned, will, will get a few. Dexter Lawrence will have a handful as well. And that'll help. But I just when when you don't have standout edge rushers, which most team have one really good one and, and some have two really good ones, that's going to hurt you. And that's why I have them ranked as one of the worst edge rushing rooms in the NFL. But again, I really do. I really I love James Bradbury addition last year. I love the Adoree Jackson uh, signing this year. I think that was one of the most underrated moves in the league. That guy was really good before his injury plagued 
2020. So uh, I love that duo. It's one of the best quarterback duos in the NFL. That's going to help. I like the depth in uh, safety with Ryan Peppers and McKinney, not to mention Love, who's played a big role. Uh, and obviously their interior defensive line is one of the best in the NFL. So, uh, and Blake Martinez, a linebacker, obviously a, a difference maker. So um, I like the group. I like it. I think it's an above average defense and perhaps it could be even better if they find another edge rusher. Yeah. I mean, that's really the thing. And I, I kind of agree with, with the projection say like, it's a good defense. It's just hard to project them to be a great defense without that one guy. You know I mean? There's just, like you said, every one of these teams that you look at that are the top, top defenses usually have that guy on the edge that just scares the bejesus out of the opponent. So it's, yeah. hard, it's hard to, to get to that level, I guess, uh, with, without that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's totally fair. That, totally fair. You think about even in the division with chase young for Washington, you know, he, it's huge getting pressure on the quarterback is so huge and they have chase young. I mean, even Philadelphia has Brandon Graham, uh, you know, Dallas has Demarcus Lawrence. I mean, you can go through the entire NFL most teams have a standout player at that, at that position. So yeah. um, the, the giants have not found it and it's been, go- this has been going on for a while. They haven't not been able to solve that issue, but you know, who knows, maybe, maybe Lorenzo Carter makes another league. Maybe one of these youngsters makes a league. Maybe they go out and acquire someone, you know, where the off season's not over yet. So uh, we'll see what happens. But for now I do consider that to be really the main weak spot uh, aside of maybe off ball linebacker depth. Uh, I think that edge rusher is, is the clear weakness. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's go, okay, you, to, to your projections for the wide receivers, right? Uh, you have Galladay at a little over 1,000 yards, six touchdowns. Shepard second in uh, yards and catches, 62 for 650. Uh, Tony, it seems like you have a, at 40 for 474 and Slate in 33 for 465 and two. It seems like you have them pretty – much spread out, which is, uh, so I guess, uh, how did, what what did you think when you came to, when you started inputting numbers on those guys or the numbers came back on those guys really? Uh, Because it's kind of, it's really a hard group to predict. It seems. Yeah, it is. It is always when you have a, especially a first round rookie who may not play a lot right away. Right. Because you have to, at some point expect that to change. You don't draft a a wide receiver in the first round and be like, Hey, he's going to redshirt this year. You know, that doesn't happen in the NFL. You know, these guys, these guys play guys play, you know, there's going to be, you know, in Detroit, their fourth round receiver is going to play a huge role, maybe in every right. down role right away. Right. So um, what's, at some what's point, the success rate of first round receivers recently? Um, Yeah, actually, believe it or not, the second round receivers have been better than the first round. Yeah, I don't I think that's in that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that matters much going forward, but, uh, you know, so obviously some guys have, have made a ton of, uh, you know, t- a huge impact. You think about Justin Jefferson, um, Justin Jefferson last year, even T Higgins, who went, I think he was the first pick of round two, had a terrific season. So you can get something out of these guys, but uh, you have your share of busts as well. And, and you know, that doesn't mean, um, you know, obviously Tony's off to a slow start with the COVID list and the injury, but, you know, he's going to get an opportunity at some point. So to answer your question, I have it projected as a lot of Galladay, Shepard, and Slayton out of the gate in three wide sets. And I gave him a little boost with Evan Ingram out as well. Um, and then week four, still the same kind of thing, going all the way until about the bye week in week 10. And then I really jacked up uh, Tony's projection from there, as in they'll expand him, maybe take away from Slayton and a little Shepard in the second half of the season and really get him going. So that's how, that's how I kind of laid it out for the season. And that's where the numbers come from. Yeah, I think uh, we made a little internal. I made a little internal uh, line on Tony at like twenty-four and a half catches, just because there's been so much uncertainty with him. I I think I had I have it on the low side for sure. So forty wow. forty would definitely blow away my total for uh, my over under that's currently set on Kadarius Tony catches. Interesting. Yeah, that's. I mean, I have him on the the end of my bench on a few fantasy teams. So. That's not what I want to hear. I want to hear. Well, you I say, think I think there's a difference between also catches and touches with him. Yeah, like I'm you're going to see him carry the ball some, like stuff like that. you're going to see that kind of stuff from him. I, I really yeah. do. You know, gadget yeah. plays, like just ways to get him the ball. Might even be like punt return, kickoff return. So it just might not necessarily be straight. You know, offensive production when it comes when it comes to him. Yeah. So. And that's not, that's not the path to much fantasy relevance, however. Yeah, I know, so, I know. but um, if, well, if Sterling Shepard suffers his annual injury, you know, that he, he, he's basically had the last few years, 
uh, Kadarius Tony all of a sudden becomes a much, and he's healthy at the time, becomes a much, much more enticing option. And yeah. that's really where his value lies, right? I mean, if he steps into that full-time slot receiver's spot, his total would be way over 40 if, if that were the case, but it's not right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's where the value kind of lies with him is, you know, it's pedigree, right? He's a first round pick and you want to invest in that in fantasy and take those chances for the end of your bench. So keep an eye on him. He'll be on waivers out there. If you play fantasy, he's going to be on a lot of waiver wires, especially after week one, when people pick up guys who played a lot and drop him. Uh, that's not a bad guy to keep stashed. Uh, those guys at some point tend to turn out. Think about like a Michael Pittman in the second half last season, when he got an opportunity became relevant in fantasy, that could be the case for Tony, but it sounds like what you're saying is this will not, you know, I'm thinking back a few years ago when there was this uh, first round receiver, the team took, and he was buried on the depth chart and he was injured going into the season. And then he came (laughs) in and was a superstar right away and was the top scoring fantasy receiver. You don't think that's going to happen here? I mean, that's, I think that's a a one-off right there. I mean, (laughs) I, 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 the more I think about that, by the way, and I've been, I, I thought about it recently because Tony was on the sideline. Like that to me is the single greatest like rookie season performance I've ever seen. Like I, I don't think there'll be a receiver that could ever have a better rookie season. And I know Randy Moss's numbers were a little bit better than, Be- but Beckham did it. He didn't practice in the spring or summer, basically at all. Misses the first four games of the season, comes in, plays 12 games and has 1300 yards and 12 touchdowns. D- think about how insane that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just bonkers to me that that actually happened. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you 100%. And, you know, people compared to Justin Jefferson last year, too. But again, you know, not the same scenario. You know, the, the thing with Beckham was the missed time and all through his rookie season. And then he steps right in and and it's just that good. It was it was unbelievable. So, so uh, funny yeah, story. you will like this. I rarely draft Giants for fantasy football because then everybody, you know, bitches and complains. And, uh, you know, you have inside information. That, and then, so I, I really, I usually try to stay away from Giants. But that year, all right, somebody decided to drop Beckham in week three. And I saw oh, him what? on the waiver wire. And, and even then, I really didn't know how good he was because I hadn't seen him much. But I knew he was getting close to coming back. So I picked him up. And then he ends up having that kind of year. And it was not well received by everyone else in my league. They were they were not happy with me <laughs> that I scooped Beckham up off waivers that year in week three. And I I obviously deflected and blamed the person who dropped him in week three for making a bad move. But I I understand their complaints. So uh, yeah, that's that's my fantasy football Giants beat writer story. Uh, that's why I try to stay away from Giants guys so that I don't I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> That's funny, but uh, I mean, that happened in leagues all across the the industry, right? I mean, I remember pick, picking him up when people dropped him as well. Um, and it didn't take a Giants beat writer to know uh, that you should stash that kind of talent on your bench, right? And that's kind of my point with Canarius Tony, you know? He may not be that anywhere close to that good. In fact, we, I'm pretty sure he won't be because that's the extreme ceiling. But, yeah. you know, he, if he's a flex option at some point this season, he'll be worth stashing on the end of your bench. You'll get a lot of value out of that when guys start getting hurt. So uh, sure. just, you know, whether it's whether it's Tony and the Giants or another team, you know, you want to you want to invest in those high pedigree players who nobody's really thinking about in the later rounds. I will say this. I'm, I'm taping this on uh, Thursday afternoon and I just came from practice and it was pretty much one of the few times I've seen Kadarius Tony working at full speed. And I saw him catch a pass, you know, in individual drills. And do this little, you know, that little like stop start kind of thing, that that hesitation kind of move that a receiver makes. And when he did it, I said to myself, wow, you know, that's why the guy's a first round pick. Like he was just so smooth and and quick. Like it it reminded me like of a Deshaun Jackson type of movement, Uh, just, you know, quickness wise. And and then you're like, okay, that's why this guy was obviously a first round pick. So uh, I'm sure at some point we, we will see that. Let's finish on this. The Giants tight ends are we are. It, it seems like uh, even Mike Clay is falling off the Evan Ingram uh, bandwagon a little bit. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've been driving it for a few years. It's enticing. It looks beautiful, especially when he's in uh, shorts and, and shoulder pads and he's not, you know, fully padded and he doesn't have to bang with with defensive ends. But it seems like that train is slowing down, huh? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, he's probably going to miss a little time early on, so that kind of crushes his his appeal in drafts. Uh, you don't want to be drafting a, a tight end too, basically, who's going to be injured. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, the fact that he's a tight end too is uh, is quite an indictment. I mean, he, last year, I still think people. I, I know I had hope. I think you had hope. I know mm-hmm. Diana Rossini is still riding Evan, the Evan Ingram yeah. train, but <laughs> we're all going down hard uh, on that one. So yeah, yeah. well, I mean, look, tight, you know, second round, it's a tight end two is says enough right there. Right, and but look, I mean, he was he was tight end five as a rookie, but he hasn't been close to that since, right? I mean, he was seventh in points per game in the net following two years, but he missed thirteen games. That kind of crushed, uh, you know, his his total output. And then last year, he stays healthy for the whole season, but. And got tons of volume. I mean, the volume was outstanding, but his efficiency was so bad that he ended Terrible. up fifteenth yeah, at the position. Bad. It's really hard yeah. to do. Yeah, so it, it was rough. And and all, touchdowns have been a big problem. He had those six as a rookie, but he has seven total over the past three years. And you know, last year he had eight drops. He had more drops last year than he has touchdowns the past three seasons. You know, that's crazy. That's not going to do the trick. So uh, <laughs> you know, he's he's been around for a while now, and uh, enough years to get a good feel for him. And and you know, the raw talent's there, but the production. Has not been. And and I wonder what his future is. You know, you bring in Rudolph and there was there was trade rumors last year. So who knows? But now he's injured. There's just a lot of problem. Not to mention, by the way, the volume's not going to be there where it was last season. They they added all these receivers for a reason. So uh, a lot of red flags with Ingram, unfortunately. Well, the context with Evan Ingram is always necessary because that rookie year, remember? So he puts up these big numbers his rookie year. But that's the year that Odell, Shepard. Brandon Marshall, whoever was there, they all got injured at the same time. There literally was nobody left. So he yeah. was that's so he had to get the target. There was no one else they wanted to throw the ball to on the roster. And yep. then uh, but then again, you said last year he did he did got that huge workload, the huge target share, and it just really didn't pan out. So even uh me mm-hmm. head of the Evan Ingram fan club for fantasy, you know, DFS purposes, I think uh I'm I think I'm <laughs> Taking the hat off, the conductor hat, and I might I might retire. So it's a sad, it's a sad, sad day. day. Yeah, it's a sad day. <laughs> Mike, I appreciate it though. Always hey. providing context. And uh I, I do, I really enjoy your projections every year. It's one one of my favorite things. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. They're fun to do, but you know, we we left one guy off though that we need to mention. We we uh oh, you know, we, most leagues, I'm sure you're leagues. Booker? No, it's it's got to be well. Look, Booker does some have late, uh, some late round appeal as uh, as insurance for Barkley, but the guy we're missing is Graham Gano. Oh, <laughs> he might be the best kicker in the NFL right now. This guy, he doesn't get the respect. I mean, since 2017, check this out. Since 2017, he's made 74 of 78 field goals. If you adjust for well, actually, his his uh, conversion rate is second in the NFL during that span, and if you adjust for distance, it's number one ahead of Josh Lambeau. So and the giants were 31st or 32nd in red zone last year. So it's not like they're going to be this great red zone team. All of a sudden, I mean, even if they jumped the pedestrian, mm-hmm. that leaves a lot of opportunity for field goals for Graham. Gano. Yeah. I mean, the guy, you know, you don't hear about him when you think about the best kickers in the NFL, his name doesn't come up, but the past four or five years, he's up there. He might be the best. I mean, he's, he's been super accurate. So anyway, you know, we're Mike Clay, we had, ride, driving the, the Graham Gano bandwagon. You I got it. You. you got it. <laughs> Too much negativity, right? We have to throw some positivity in there. So uh, Graham Gano, there's, there's your uh, giant to draft this year. Let's end on that. Thanks Mike. <laughs> on to the next one. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. 
That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Let's wrap up with a little Jordan on the beat here. This is the portion of the episode where I tell you what it's like to work for ESPN, cover the Giants, or cover the NFL in general. And let this be example number seven million to make sure the mic is off or the phone is hung up before you make a comment. Because let's go back to last Monday. We have a Zoom conference call, audio only. Joe Judge is talking and whatever. Pat Leonard's having his problems. Pat Leonard, you've been on the show before. You know him. Works for the New York Daily News. So he's having his problems. You know, one of those guys that, uh, you know, his, he's muting it. He's trying to ask a question. He's muted and whatever. Breaks up a couple times. So it's not going smoothly for him. He admits, takes full blame for it. So at the end of the call, the call ends. Joe says goodbye, you know, and I joke and I, I turn my audio on for a second and I joke and I say, hey, Pat, training camp's over. Better pick up your game, right? So the Giants moderator says, all right, that's the end of the call. See you all later. But Joe Judge didn't know it. At least I don't think he knew it. And he threw in a little comment at the end and he said, what a strange effort, right? And that was right after my comment. So presumably, and like, he's not wrong. I, I think I fit that description pretty well. Uh, strange effort, but uh, it got caught on the call. And a bunch of us did hear it. I chuckled. I laughed. Uh, and again, lesson number seven million. Make sure you hang up before you make a comment. Make sure the call has ended. The mic is off before you make a comment. That's one of the things they tell you when you first start working at ESPN. because. What we do is basically we hook up beforehand with transmission. And so they set it up and when they're set, they set up a box. Basically, your camera is on live in ESPN and then they could take it when they need to and put it on air. And so they tell you, be careful what you say, because we could hear you. Your mic is on. The camera is on. Don't pick your nose because there's people back in ESPN that can see that block that can if they if they presumably wanted to, they could sit there and watch your screen the whole time, listen to your screen the whole time. So be careful, they tell you. And it's true. And sometimes you forget, you you know, you rub your nose, you itch your nose, and it could easily look like you're sitting there picking your nose easily. And if you, you definitely don't want to say something, we've seen that in the past with people saying something on the hot mic and never goes well, never goes well. So strange effort. Got that. Put that in the memory bank for the future, just in case. Joe Judge might want to make sure next time that the call has ended. That's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. Uh, as always, you know where to reach me. Maybe we'll do a Giants after dark next week leading into the season. A few days before the season, we'll bring you a Giants after dark. As always, you know where to reach me. Email, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'll be there. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. You listen to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time.